it would have been Tuesday night and I was working very, very late because I just had other stuff to do. Right. And I remarked to Graham that, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day. There's always more to be done. Right. And he asked the immortal question, will you ever be finished? Yep. Good question. And I thought that, ten that's ten. a great question. And yep. frankly, no, there, there will always be more to do. Right. And that, but then that made me like, a, it was like a little bit sad. You know, eventually I'm going to die and there will still be things that I could have finished. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But also I said it's a good thing because it means I'm always, you know, working towards something, whether that's in like the Pink Elephant Media training stuff or if it's just personal. I'm always working towards finishing stuff. But at some point things have to end. Yeah, I would say that out with like reasonable work hours, if you're wanting to be busy, it should probably be for things that are personally fulfilling, not like career advancing. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'll push back on this idea that like it's all right if we're busy because we're working towards something. When that work is like for work work. No, 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 no. Because no. I would do the same. I could, I could spend all day, every day, technically profiting okay. and doing work, even if it's not directly paid, but improving my skill set and, and and communicating with people and trying to make new connections and all that. But that's not it's not worth it. When I'm thinking about like when I'm going to die and what I'm going to not finish, it's usually like a book series or like a TV show. I know I'm going to die halfway through like the greatest TV show of all time. Oh, I know. Uh, and it's just going to have to be fine. But I'm not like thinking what are my personal projects am I going to die halfway through? So maybe we've got a slightly different mindset there. Well, perhaps at some point there will just be a final episode of Seesaw Parade and we won't know it. Well, there will be. Hopefully we will know it. Hopefully we'll preempt, you know, <laughs> the end of the show and get to say, like, this is it. Well, you'd think so, but... Uh, Speaking of, uh, welcome to the final episode. Which we have definitely said before, I know, that there will be more. Because I'm determined to get to at least 300. That's the next. All right. You know, we're always working towards stuff, right? On episode 300, are we only going to talk about Sparta? There will only be Jared Butler mentions on the show. We have to do a Jared Butler accent throughout, which is like yeah. Paisley via California. Oh, no. Oh, I just... The other thing that happened, talking of <laughs> things that end unexpectedly, the amount of times... And I actually emailed one of my clients today... <laughs> Yes, it was not going that way, James. Get your mind out the gutter. Yes. Things that ended prematurely. The LNER train line, you may recall several months ago I mentioned they'd approached me to be like, yo, do you want to do a podcast for us? And we're going to host it on our trains and people can listen to the podcast. Oh, vaguely. And we were going to do like six episodes and I'd done the first one and it was all really good. And then it just kind of stopped. Okay. Uh, and I got back to them in November and I said, hey, any any movement on this thing? And much like a train. <laughs> much like a train. In the UK. It's been delayed. It's being held up. <laughs> and uh, then, again, nothing. They said they'd get back to me when things had quietened down. Right. But it's now the middle of April. It's and I emailed while. them this morning to say, hi, how's it going? Here's me. Just to check, this project is dead. Yeah. Yeah, you like closure. You don't like to be ghosted by projects. Well, the amount of, like, open... I have, I have signed... About four contracts with different clients right. who just okay. slowly have stopped contacting me. Have you, in those contracts, do, do they have a we must provide something clause or is it all like on your end? No. Okay, well then you got to start thinking about but that. But they have, in, in like the last bit of the contract, it says if you want to leave or end this contract, you have to give us notice. 
and some of these right. c- contracts have been in place for like three years. Right. The c- company may not even exist anymore, but I have not given my notice, so I probably have about five but contracts I'm currently enrolled it's, in. It's the other way around. They've got to, you've got to have clauses for like if you, if you want to stop the project, you cheeky business, you you must give me two months' notice. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but uh, I've thought of it now. <laughs> yeah, there was a really good idea that you came up with. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, how are you, James? What's happening? I am fine. Actually, actually, because I always complain about having all my work last minute, I've got like, th- I've had three days ahead of work for this whole week. Yay! I've not been stressed on a single morning thinking about what am I going to be doing today. I have no... Excellent! It's been a difference. That's good. Yeah. Is this like... Other people being organized, or is it just the fruits of your labor yeah, yeah. being fruity? Other people being organized, so it is definitely going to come to an end <laughs> okay. probably by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah. On Monday morning, I'm going to wake up and I'll be like, what am I doing for work today? And I'll be back to old me. Oh, okay. Well, enjoy this time while it lasts. Yeah. And thank yep. you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yep. To join us. Oh, I've been. It's been busy anyway. It tr- it truly has been. As I've as as I've told you, Zelda has been unwell, and that's been a lot of ins and outs with vets, and it's keeping me busy, and it's probably going to be expensive. Sick pussy. But it will be resolved soon. Well, that's good. Even though apparently you had a vet thing this week, which didn't really go to plan. Yeah. Well, I woke up on Tuesday at half seven. Um, to try and get in touch with the vet to be like, hey, are we still on for that day? Because I didn't have a confirmation of the appointment for some reason. Um, and then I couldn't get through to them. Their phone line was still just off uh. from the weekend, the Easter weekend. So I was like, okay, I'm, go- I'm going anyway. I pre-booked a taxi. Okay. So I was like, all right, I won't, I'm not cancelling the taxi. So I get ready, get dressed, I'm set to go. Uh, again, I get a little notification. Taxis got cancelled on me. Oh. And what would have been a 10-minute taxi drive would have become like a 40-minute walk slash public transport situation. And it would have been too late to make the appointment. So the appointment did get cancelled by accident. And I've got to do it again next week instead. Yay. Okay, well, at least you know that there's work you can build around the vet. And then you can give Maybe, the vet hopefully. all the money you've made from that work. So much money. So much money to the vet for, for for all of their great work. Vets are wonderful. And I think that maybe we should provide universal veterinary care to all animals. Ah, here we go. Well, council elections are coming up, James. Yeah, I'm in. You can stand in your own party. Animals for healthcare party. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's got a really nice Elf. ring to it. Health. <laughs> Okay, let's crack on. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode 283 of Scotland's longest running wow. season one of any yes. Scottish entertainment slash politics slash yep. news slash uh, cat chat um, yep. in history. Hosted by us. <laughs> also hosted <laughs> by people called Colin and James. I am Colin and he is James. Yeah, yeah, I am. And we are delighted that you could join us. Thank you very much for listening. And for those of you who are uh, persevering with the show from episode one the whole <laughs> way through. No. It's no. a pleasure to have you. And thank you very much you for getting in touch. Shanana, oh. I got in touch on Twitter at Parade to say, hello, I can confirm you do want to watch Mrs. America, which was reviewed last week's TV show with Kate Blanchett right. and Rose Byrne. Uh, she said it was available on iPlayer, so worth starting there if you're looking for it. Rose Byrne is the perfect foil for Mrs. Blanchett. Just... Go watch it. Hashtag. Go watch it. Anthony was right. 
So there we go. Yeah, the trouble, the trouble, the trouble with the iPlayer is that you need to be paying your television license. Yes, you do, and I don't pay my license. Do you pay your license, Chiefs? What? Why have we transitioned? <laughs> I do not pay my license fee. Um, there's not enough good programming that I feel like I'm missing out on. In the last two years, there's been. At this point, three things that okay. I thought, oh man, I wish I had my license. So it's not worth three things. Mm. Well, what I'm going to do, Shanana, is, uh, and this is what I do every two years, I wait till either the European Championships or the World Cup is on, and the BBC show oh. four games a day, right? and I buy a license for a month, and then I hand oh, it back. Very clever. And in that time... I watch all the other the other things that are on BBC iPlayer. That's actually so I could I could do that. I will report back but to you in November slash yeah. December when the World Cup's being held in Qatar. Smart. That's a good that's a good idea. Uh, and when I'm not watching the heavyweights of Senegal against the host nation of Qatar, oh dear. the giants of world football. Good point. I will be watching Mrs. America. So thank you. Everybody. All right. For your recommendations. And dear listener, you can tell us what you've been watching and if we should watch it or, you know, otherwise stay away at CISO Parade on Twitter or CISO Parade at gmail.com. Yeah. Or just get in touch with us, as Amel has done, has sent us an audio review <gasps> of a show. Fabulous. I can't remember what it was called. Oh, dear. But we will listen to it later on. All right. And uh, James, I also have a, a movie which I would like to recommend, but I'm going to save it. Okay. For later. All right. And it's on Netflix. So, you know, if you go and watch it, you're helping them out because by gosh... They've had a rough week. Oh boy, do they need your help. And poor Netflix. Oh, they desperately need help. They're just so good and nice. They need your sympathy, support, love. What a, what a not streams. corporate, disgusting business. They did. They deserve help. The one thing, though, that both us... this, In fact, this could be a great trivia question. Right. What does Seesaw Parade, Twitter, and Netflix all have in common? Oh, Can you figure no, out, James? Netflix has made money. Oh, has it? Oh, yeah, has it? Are you Netflix sure? has been profitable for a long time. Oh, rubbish. Okay, what does Cease Operate on Twitter have, have in common? <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, what do we have in common with Twitter? <laughs> yeah, well, the, 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 the answer is neither of us have ever turned a profit. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say we're used by millions, but... Fun fact! I can see that yours is a bit better. And both of us have been approached by Elon Musk. <laughs> In different ways. I would like to buy 9% of you. <laughs> and give you $43 billion, please, for the pleasure. Ooh. And then you can say whatever you like, because hashtag free speech. Anyway, I feel we're getting uh, away from oh, the point yeah, here. Oh, yeah, that's what free speech is. Uh, okay, James, there has been actually a lot going on, so let's crack on. That was a major teaser, that was. And it was. And let's start. Elon will pop up again later on. Let's start with Boris, because yeah, he's in India. And everyone else is talking about him. Oh, he's in India. Of course he is. Okay, James, this is the news that in the last week, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, was fined by the Metropolitan Police (laughs) for breaking lockdown <laughs> rules. Big Boris's big fine. I can't believe yes. it. It actually happened. I thought it was going to be like just a nothing forever and we'd all move on and forget about it. But Big Boris nope. got fined. And so did Big as Rishi. Did. And so did big other people. Dishy Rishi got another fine. As did Boris's wife slash girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Slash interior design partner, Carrie. <laughs> she got a fine as well. And essentially what happened then was everyone rushed out to either say, you need to resign, or to say, hey, look, 
Every, everyone broke the rules at some point, so it's fine. <laughs> We're all human. We're all human. Just some of us humans broke the law and some of us didn't, but we're all human. <laughs> yeah, and what's happened now? This is It's just gone five o'clock on Thursday, the 21st of April, 2022. Welcome to all of you who have time-travelled. Wow, yeah. This has just happened in the last hour or so. MPs have voted uh, to essentially investigate whether or not Boris Johnson misled Parliament intentionally. Yes. I believe is the wording they've gone for. So, Of course they have. This was, in the run-up to this vote, because this vote has been talked about for days, are yeah. the Conservative Party, Boris's own party, going to vote to investigate their Prime Minister? And the run-up to this debate, it was known by basically everybody that the Tories had been whipped into voting against this motion. Yeah. So regardless of how they felt, it was basically the threat of if you don't vote for against this, um, then bad things are going to happen to you. Right. But moments before the debate started this afternoon, the government then said they would not be putting forward this amendment uh, to the proposed uh, motion. And as the afternoon went on, the Conservative MPs were reportedly told they no longer had to vote to help Boris. The three-line whip was removed, and slowly, Tory benches got quieter as the debate wore on. And and actually, they didn't even have a full vote. No. You know, there was just the the yeas or the nays. You know, is there any opposition to this? And no one shouted no. There was no one. That was it. So, that was it. After they shouted yay... A brief event. It, that's that's the start. Well, however, this doesn't mean the investigation starts right away. The motion no, specifically no, no, said no. it will start after Sue Gray has come out with her report, mm. as well as then uh, and that report itself has to wait for the Met Police to finish yeah. giving out fines, yeah. of which there could be more for Boris. So now, Yeah, we're still waiting for more fines, potentially more fines for Boris, and then after that we might get the report then. And then after that, we might get a, a look into whether or not Boris misled. Mis- I can't believe it. You've explained this much better than I have. You're right. Met Police will continue to find people. And you're right. There may be more fines for Boris heading his way. Then after that, Sue Gray publishes her report. She already published the preliminary findings, which were damning. And then after that... <laughs> the MPs or some committee, I believe it's yep. committee, will investigate if Boris misled Parliament, even though he clearly, <laughs> clearly yeah. did. So, James... Did he maybe, did he maybe mislead Parliament? Like, what is there to investigate? You just have to look at the things he said, I believe, four times. <laughs> we better investigate it, though. <laughs> Just play the tape. Boris, did you party? Oh, I didn't go to a single go party. Boris, Boris, go did you party? No, I didn't go to a single party. How oh, well we are, <laughs> Boris. So th- this, that's that to me is the you know yeah. What is there to investigate? Because on four separate occasions he denied that any parties were held, and then he denied yeah. ever going to one. And now he's been fined because he went to one. It's beyond the basics of like he went to a party and therefore he's not fit to be the PM. That's enough. He got, he went to a party. He. He's been found to be an illegal human being. (laughs) 
get him out. Get him out of the Prime Minister's role. He broke the law. But beyond that, he lied about going to the parties, but he also lied about the existence of the parties. Y- yeah. So even if he hadn't attended, it is still enough of a lie that he should be out. Well, the, the thing, though, that really... <laughs> well, I guess we better investigate it. The thing that really interests me, and we'll talk about the, his calls, the calls for resignation in a second, but the thing that's interested me, just as I'm reading this now is that the build-up to this vote was that Conservative MPs were going to say, no, there's no need for an investigation, and just yeah. you know, move on. But as today's gone on, clearly that position has changed. So I'm gonna... what is, what's changed then within the, within the Conservative Party? And Boris, by the way, is actually in India, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to guess that there was just enough pushback. Some figureheads of some of the subgroups may have just said, we're not going to listen to the whip. But because they're all conservatives and they don't like having uh, public breaches of like the unity, they would have okay. told them. I'm guessing they would have said, "Hey, this is not going to pass. We are all going to rebel. If you want to make us look bad, then keep the whip up and make this push through, so everyone can see who's on what side." Okay, it's like a face-saving thing. They they weren't. They actually, I'm guessing. Of course, still they had enough of a backbone to not fall in line with this whip, but they didn't have enough of a backbone to do it publicly. They wanted to save the face of the party and not have everyone divide and show the different sides. That's the I'm, only thing I can come up with. I my my reading into this, wrong. my reading into this, then James is. There are council elections on the horizon. I believe in yeah. Scotland they're happening two weeks today. Yeah. And they may, it may well be the same date for England and Wales. And over the Easter weekend, and for the three previous weeks before that, because MPs have been on recess, mm-hmm. they obviously have all gone back to their own constituencies. They've been talking to people on the doors, supporters and those other than Tory supporters, and been yeah. you know getting that that opinion. What do you think about Boris? What do you think about this? And I believe they've come back <laughs> yeah. and have essentially said, "Look, we are going to lose everything seats. Done, We're going to yeah. lose council seats. We're going to lose entire councils because of the prime minister, because of Rishi, and we'll we'll get to him later on. But that to me is is why, as today's gone on, there has been this shift because ultimately, <sighs> I don't know how far it is going to take." in terms of the lies that the British public have been told, for there to be a meaningful change in political power in this country, even if it starts with the councils before there's a general election. Uh, yeah, no, it's a but big deal. I believe that the backbenchers and the people, the powers that be within the party who are above the Prime Minister have decided, actually, if we decide not to do this, it's going to have an even bigger impact short term with the council elections literally two weeks away whereas if they just let this motion go and say yeah yeah we'll investigate the prime minister by the time that comes round yeah you're talking months down the line as opposed to the short-term impact so that to me is why it's been done they're dodging the big drama now and pushing it into the future saving it for later and we still might see who is still like just behind boris and whatever he's representing for the Conservatives, which I don't actually know why anyone's still following him, but there are some who just are, and they're very publicly doing so. But there's a bunch that are doing so quietly, and we don't really know who the rebels are. There's a few people that are saying Boris should resign from the, like within the Conservative Party, but not many. We don't know who they're, who's backing them either. So until that that rift is public, the drama is like a bit sheltered. So I can see, I can see that you're right that they're probably just keeping that big rift uh, hidden until there's not a vote around the corner. 
but anyway, like the people of the UK, we're still we're still behind, and like as as a, as a, as, a, as the polling goes, we're still behind the Conservatives ahead of Labour and stuff like that. I saw a poll that was asking uh, who would be better trusted running the economy: the Conservatives under Johnson yep. or Labour under Steinmeier, and the Conservatives came out on top. Which after the last, I don't know, <laughs> lots of years of Conservative leading, how do you come to that conclusion? Indeed, the people are still just completely lied to enough that they're convinced that the Conservatives are competent. On the back of this, before we move on, Boris Johnson has, in the last few minutes, told the BBC this change in position was because of him not wanting to give the impression he was trying to avoid scrutiny. <laughs> Which he's been trying to do since forever? That's So that's his line, <laughs> but uh, as uh, this is David Wallace Lockhart from the BBC who's writing here, who says the other reading into this is that the Conservatives were concerned about the rebellions, as you talked about. People within their party who decided, you know what? No, we're going to lose seats. I'm losing support. Therefore, I'm going to vote to investigate the Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a chance to kind of, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go back a few days after it emerged that Boris, Rishi and others had been fined for their lockdown parties. There were then calls for both of them to resign. And both of them as you'd expect, decided, uh, no, they would, they would stay where they were. So they all received a fixed penalty notice for attending a birthday gathering for the Prime Minister in number 10. And as mentioned already, Mr Johnson is now the first serving Prime Minister to be sanctioned for breaking the law. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many Prime Ministers have broken the law. In fact, they have in the past. Yeah. But uh, rather than be actually sanctioned or cautioned for it, this is the first time it's happened. They all apologised. Yeah. Mr. Johnson said he now felt an even greater sense of obligation to deliver. And <laughs> that was then met by basically everybody in opposition, including Labour and the SNP, telling Boris to go. And he did not. He's not gone. He's not gone. He won't. No, he won't. He I don't won't. know what he's hoping to achieve, but he's not going to go. I presume he wants to, as he said in an interview, he wants to take the Conservatives through the next general election, which yeah, I, I cannot see that happening surely they would they'll, they'll let boris through the next period perhaps the rest of the year and then in the run-up to the election they'll get a fresh face in well i don't think it's going to be rishi anymore no rishi is rishi is probably more doomed than uh, we previously even thought yeah, he could yeah. be but i just i like if i was in boris's shoes i don't see how much i've got to switch my brain off to think that i've still got any ambition left yeah. What on earth can you achieve from this point? And you know, maybe Boris will prove me wrong, and he'll prove me uh, wrong in the fact that uh, he will be able, he will be still someone who the public can vote for and give a massive majority to. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and I'm underestimating how much people care about this stuff. But I, if I was Boris, I, I would, I just cannot see the path forward that is worth the the effort and the energy that he's going to have to put into this, and all the sacrifices for a whole bunch of other things. It's not worth it, Boris. Indeed. Quit. We are going to talk later, James, about Rwanda and the UK government, and particularly Shitty Chattel's idea and the fact that she pushed this through. So we'll save that chat for just a second. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. before we get there, this story has been running and running since we had the first resignations. Allegra Stratton, remember her? The tearful apology? Oh, yeah, those, apology. Uh, those early, early days. Oh, and boy. all she did was joke about a party 
that at that point hadn't happened. Yeah. And she quit and was then, yeah, essentially maligned by by all the, the press for that. That, I believe, happened in December. Maybe late November. It's been a long one. It's been a it's, long one. This is, and it's going to continue to drag out. So that, to me, you know, if I'm the Conservatives, and you know, I, I'm unable to speak for Boris because I believe his ego and his pride comes first, but if I'm the Conservatives, I'm thinking, look, the sooner this is done yeah. and we get someone in who's untarnished by fines and breaking lockdown rules and doing everything they said they were they were not and misleading Parliament the better, because the party will then start to recover. But if Boris remains in charge for you know, through the next election, I fail to see mm-hmm. any position where they get a better result. They will undoubtedly well, yeah, lose seats. Like, and if Boris is in charge, no. it's going to be even greater. It would take the entire media um, and the entire hierarchy of the UK turning in Boris's favour again to get similar results to what they have. This is the most lucky party uh, uh, in leadership that we've seen. However, I don't think just a slight downturn would throw the Conservatives off. And if I put my really cynical brain on, I can see a world where by the time the next election is here, all the people who are just like, uh, they've been stoked into anti-immigration policies and they've been stoked into low tax policies and all of those things that they think are for their benefit but are just for the benefit of the of the wealthy. I can see the world where they are also convinced that the party gate stuff is just old news and it's time to move on and Labour are just being spiteful still bringing it up and just we've got to focus on the now and all of that stuff. I do see that world existing. I just... If like it's so hard to believe in it, and I don't really want to believe in it because that would require a whole bunch of people, a very vast majority of the UK, to just not care about the callousness of the corruption uh, and the law breaking of this Tory party. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the other big story of the week, which is continuing to be the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Oh, yeah. The main headlines today is that President Vladimir Putin has declared that the city of Mariupol, which has been under siege for over a month, has been liberated. It's been taken. Mm-hmm. However, that goes in stark contrast to what everyone else says, which is, well, we'll know there's still uh, hundreds of Ukrainian fighters in the city, and in particular at the Azovstal steel plant, where Putin has reportedly ordered his, ordered his troops not to storm it, yeah. and instead seal it, so that even a fly cannot escape. Yeah. And that's a quote there. And today, all over Russian state media, they've been showing a clip of Mr. Putin uh, declaring victory in the city, congratulating his defence minister on having successfully taken it. Uh, yeah. And that's been, that's been running all over state media. And from analysis I'm reading here, people are saying this is designed to assure the Russian people that everything is going to plan. You know, not that they they need much reassurance, given the fact they're told this every single day about this special military op- operation. But yeah, James, this has been a change of tack from the Russian military because after weeks of seemingly getting nowhere, yeah, the last few days it seems like they've readjusted and now they're focusing on the eastern Donbass region, which is what we've heard a lot of headlines about. Uh, in the last few hours, in the last few days. Yeah, yeah. so we're seeing a lot of stories of Ukraine liberating whatever few places Russia are kind of giving up on. Uh, I would say that the reporting around Mariupol for quite a while has been very much like a little propagandized and we've been seeing a slightly brighter picture of the defense than otherwise because the places that were still defended were pretty limited. The city was by and large 
kind of occupied, destroyed, and destroyed. Uh, and the, the the there was not much left that was being actively defended. And hey, the defenders quite literally sacrificing their lives to hold what they can. Like that is, that is valorous and that is like bold and all of that. Um, but it didn't look good. It, and so Russia coming out and saying, hey, we've basically won, might be a little bit of propaganda too. There's still holdouts and stuff like that. But it, okay. the city is not going to f- liberate itself with what it's got available. It's going to need liberated from Russian occupation or at least Russian bombardment and stuff like that. But 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 that is something that Zelensky is saying that they were they are going to do. He's saying no land is going to be given to Russia for peace agreements. He's saying that they will liberate all of the Ukraine. Um, um, so he's looking way far into the future uh, to do this, like, I guess what would be described as a real offensive to take back the stuff that Russia is currently trying desperately to hold on to as they have focused in on the regions they had that they had, that they had greater success in. What's also happened in the last 24 hours is the US President Joe Biden has announced a new $800 million package of support for the country yeah. and have also announced that any Russian flagged or Russian uh, affiliated ships will be banned Mm -hmm. from docking in US ports, which was a move that had been previously resisted. And this is then going back to the increased sanctions which are continuing. I mean, I I think at some point they would run out, but they are somehow continuing. (laughs) And it's in in the wake of the fact that we are continuing to hear about allegations and evidence of war crimes being committed uh, from the Russian military in Ukrainian towns and villages, as well as the major cities. We talked about Bucha last time, and the Mm -hmm. fact that hundreds of bodies were found, some people tied up and then had been uh, murdered in particularly brutal ways. Mm -hmm. James, these stories have continued to unfold and to be heard, and I'm certain that they will uh, continue to happen over the coming months and potentially years. So once again... My question is, are these sorts of sanctions, you know, where Russian ships can't dock in the US anymore, really, the as far as sanctions can go in the face of well, yeah. war crimes and crimes against humanity? It, yeah, we're not doing as much as we could. I don't think it's easy to do as much as we could. It's for sure a slow journey, but I feel like most of us are going a bit too slow. We are seeing uh, Russian assets... Uh, getting taken off a stock exchange, and then Russia are also saying that they're gonna not re- they're gonna take all their own assets off a stock exchange and stuff like that, which is trying to save face. Um, we're we're you're seeing Germany talking about by the end of the year uh, having zero reliance on Russian oil, uh, and Germany also support giving offering like I think it was a was that a billion in military aid to the Ukraine? I'm not sure. Okay. So like there is a continuous increase of these pledges of help um, and assistance or or sanctions and all of these things. But I think the, the, the smarter people than I in the more important rooms than I uh, are still saying, Hey, we can have better targeted sanctions where we are directly hitting um, Putin and his, and his yes men. Um, And Putin is apparently just uh, completely unaware of how bad things are going. He's, he's, oh. There was a, an EU representative went to meet Putin the first time since the war began, I think. And uh-huh. he's reporting that Putin is saying, yeah, Russia's winning the war. 
Um, so I think there is an element of yes man cluelessness, uh, classic just uh, yes dictator stuff going on. So I, I'd say targeting that group would still seem like the right idea. We can specifically freeze out the assets of a bunch of pretty wealthy people who still have a lot of power. Um, and it doesn't seem impossible to do. And apparently it's not because smarter people than I are saying, do it. There was one major victory for Ukraine in the last week. And this was the Russian warship, the Moskva, which was sunk uh, late last week. Now, Russia's defense ministry said there had been a fire on board <laughs> and then it sank in stormy seas. You know. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Just the, our flagship, we just accidentally set it on fire and it sank. <laughs> Even though, yes, they're fighting a country without a navy, which I find very entertaining. And uh, yeah. the Ukrainians have said that its missiles had hit the ship yeah. and that then caused it to list onto its side and then it sank. There was a fire. There was major fires. And other, yeah, other, looking at pictures and videos of which very short clips were released, the, the, the holes on the side of the ship would show that the metal was bent in towards the belly of the the vessel, Mm -hmm. whereas if there was an explosion out the way, the metal shards would be all jaggedy pointing out the way. Yeah, yeah. It's almost as if the Russians didn't want to say (laughs) their warship had been blown up and sank. It really tells you a lot when the less embarrassing story from their perspective, which is like, hey, we accidentally blew up our own ship. Yeah. And this is uh, the, uh, it's almost a 13,000 ton vessel with over 500 crew. It's the biggest warship to be sunk uh, belonging to Russia since World War II. I think it's the and biggest warship to be sunk since World War II. Wow. It, well, in that case, it's still, a, it's still a big victory for the Ukrainians. Well, yeah, it's anything that you're taking down a major piece of um, the uh, war infrastructure is a, is a huge one. Um, that's that's another major asset sunk. It's quite literally, and uh, it's another indicator that Russia are going to struggle to get the uh, value of all the things that they are sinking into this war back. And who knows how they're going to manage that? You talked about the yeah, sinking uh, into this war. Ha. To sum up, because yeah, time is short and we've got more stories to discuss. At what point, or is there a point? in which Putin perhaps does become more aware of what's actually happening on the ground when he hears, oh, the Moskva was actually blown up rather than what I'm presuming he was told, which was there was a fire and it sank. You know, is there a point at which he, and th- uh, this is pure speculation, totally unhelpful, a point where he's like, you know what, actually maybe things aren't going quite as well as I thought they were. Maybe let's reassess. In my book, that's what's happened with the realigning of military priorities true, in the last uh, week or so where they've suddenly started going, okay, let's focus on the eastern Donbass region where they already have a lot of Russian separatists yeah. there anyway, causing a ruckus for the last eight years, rather than what they were attempting to do, which was attack on all sides and getting nowhere. Well, yeah, I, I, I think changing the war strategy is easier for them to do as safe face than just kind of like giving up because they've invested too much. I don't think they're going to voluntarily end the war. They're going to, and especially with the, with the way um, they need to hold on to power, they've got to come out looking like winners. Now, I don't think the people off Russia are gullible enough to believe they're winning the war. I think they're gullible enough uh, but smart enough to know that they're being lied to, but they also don't believe that anyone else is telling the truth either. They hear Putin say we're winning the war, they hear um, the West saying no you're not, and the Russian people go, everybody's lying. Um, 
So, so long as Putin feels seems powerful enough and honest enough for them, he's going to remain in power. So Putin can't just lose the war because that would be way too obvious. There's no way to lie his way around that. He's got to get enough of a uh, of a win that he can sell it to his people, yep. even if they know that he's lying and that he can pretend it was his intention all along. And they'll know he's lying, but they'll be like, he's lying, but powerful, and we'll still vote for him. Well, James, in a shock turn of events, we're actually going to keep talking about the news before we get on to lighter stuff because wow. lots of new stuff has been happening, which is important. So we'll start with oh, Rwanda. We're going to be so fast and efficient. Then we'll talk about Nicola Sturgeon and the mask. Then we'll talk about Elon Musk. Then we'll talk about Rishi Sunak. Then we'll talk about NASA. Mm-hmm. And then we'll chat entertainment. So let's begin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the Rwanda news. This is the story that some asylum seekers who crossed the channel to the UK will be given a one-way ticket to the African country of Rwanda under new government plans. So this pilot scheme, which will focus mainly on single men arriving on boats or lorries, uh, would send these people to the middle of Africa, about 6,000 miles away. Uh, This has been met by uh, a huge amount of backlash, refugee organizations criticizing it as cruel. The cost of it has been questioned, the impacts on the people who are being sent there, concerns raised about Rwanda's human rights record, and uh, the fact that, yeah, this has been called a £120 million scheme. No, that's just how much it costs to set up and do the press release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let alone the actual cost of sending people. The actual costs of it are going to be huge. Precisely. And then in the wake of all this backlash from the uh, the Home Secretary, Shitty Chattel, she then hit back and said that critics of the plan, they don't have any other ideas. I, so I therefore, got an idea. I got one. This is the plan. I got an idea. Um, accept refugees. Yes. Uh give them the means to to live and find their place in our society because they will contribute more than we, they ever took. Yeah, this was also the day after the Archbishop of Canterbury, the most senior religious figure in the country, accused or rather described the government's plan as uh, essentially ungodly. That is, and yeah. raising serious ethical questions. And it does. And, and this was then uh, met by Miss Patel with... Indifference, as it emerged, that she had pushed the scheme through herself, issuing, I think only for the second time in 20 years, or 30 years, a ministerial direction. Yeah. Meaning that, regardless of what her civil servants were saying, her top one, by the way, was questioning whether it offered value for money. She was (laughs) like, it doesn't matter, because I'm in charge, so therefore... It's happening, yes. and that's where we're at. The only way that there's not been pushback technically has been that the majority of people polled about this were in support of it, uh, which is a bit sad, but probably just because people didn't understand all the reasons it's bad. Um, so it, there was pushback legally, there was pushback ethically, there was pushback from like charity groups and religious groups, there's been pushback from her own team saying it's not worth it, there's been pushback from people that look at the money and go, this is actually just more expensive than any other solution that there is. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, again, it's another situation, is I don't quite see why, with all of that, we're going all in and going for it anyway. And then also blaming labour, which is a bit weird. Because yeah. Labour started this theory that maybe this was a good idea. 
um, at some point. And then apparently the Labour government of 2013, which didn't exist, uh, started it. Oh. Um, um, and it's, it's they're just finishing Labour's job. So it's Labour's fault all along. Right. <laughs> like, and yeah, like maybe the Labour government was a bit stupid and tried to think of solutions to things that aren't really... Don't they really need these types of solutions? But yep. you got to take the blame when you follow up on someone's bad idea yourself. <laughs> I mean, Britain has done a great job in the last few years of making itself just this unambiguously horrible little nation. Yeah, well, which makes cruel, totally unnecessary decisions yeah. that go against every right. human right that people have. And this is just another one. And this is, sorry, this is so, like, morally repugnant that when I saw it, I thought it was a joke. I thought they were joking, but no. Yeah. The problem is that after Brexit, immigration has increased, (laughs) which, you know, I'm in support of. More people is more good. Um... And But because Brexit and the Tory government have, are anti-immigration, they want to lower immigration, the fact that we've got more it, and it's just from different countries means that they've got to try and still feel like the anti-immigration party. So they're going to do these crazy things to get the headlines and make it clear that they're doing everything they can within their power to and beyond their power uh, to remove people because we've just shifted the people who are coming into the country from primarily... Europe to like India and other countries, which is like is great because we need immigrants. <laughs> Otherwise, as a society, we're going to collapse because we don't have enough workers to 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 have to fund all these pensions. Don't have enough people, which are necessary. Don't cut the pensions. We need those. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, who was this week warned by police officers about the laws surrounding face masks in Scotland after a video emerged showing her without one in a barber shop on Saturday. So this was two days before laws on masks became guidance. And uh, this video, which was put on social media, showed her in this barbershop, joking away without a mask. Yeah. She and the uh, the party then responded. Oh, it's just as bad as Boris. Uh, well, yeah, threw Boris a bone somewhat. But anyway, Sturgeon and the SNP both apologised, uh, saying it was a momentary lapse and she quickly realised she needed to wear one before she posed for yeah. photographers. And she accepted that not wearing one for even a few seconds was a mistake and I'm sorry. Yes. So, James, just talk to me about about this incident because I have my own yeah. view on it as well. I got I got the I caught the headlines on this one. Um and I saw the video. I was like, well that's pretty bad, yeah. And then she apologized and said it was a mistake. Um and then I was like, all right. Yep. And then the police said, Yep, we've given her a wee talking to and that's all we need. And I was like, Okay, cool, story's done now, I guess. Because yeah, it's an embarrassment. If she didn't apologize, it would have been a resignation issue. If she <laughs> told Parliament, I did not go into a shop without a mask, don't be silly. I'd be like, Okay, yeah, you gotta resign. But yep. they just straight up said, Yeah, we made a mistake. Kind of exaggerated how quickly they remedied the mistake because I even within the course of the video I wouldn't call any response after that quick. Right, the video was long enough to get the word "quick" out of the lexicon. But um, the, I think it was just something that happened. It was bad. It's it's it is embarrassing how many of our leaders in Scotland and in the UK in general right. haven't been sticking to their own rules perfectly because they should be because they've got teams of people with them all the time. That's not one person forgetting, it's a whole bunch of people. So it's, it is embarrassing and bad, but the story is also done for me. I, yeah, I totally agree, particularly with your 
timeline of events. But here's my here's my point. She is the most senior person in the entire country, and this is such a basic mistake to <laughs> yes, make. Yes, it's so small and stupid. We've been doing this for two years, and you walked into a shop without a mask. Like, how, how do you? How can you do that? And it's the fact that it wasn't just, as you say, she was just by herself on a visit. She was like campaigning. Yeah, she was out supporting local councils, and she walked into a shop without a mask on. I I know people say, oh, yeah, we're all human. We've all done that. We've all been there. I haven't. Yeah, we are. <laughs> and well, I'm not we, the most senior human. person in we the country. We are individuals with one brain. <laughs> but she's she has to be more than human. And she's got a whole bunch of she got a whole bunch of people helping her be more than human. It is right. crazy that they managed to slip up. Yeah, exactly. And that to me is, look, I appreciate she said sorry. And yeah, it's a minor slip up in the, the grand scheme of things. However, it's totally avoidable. And yeah. she's got so many spads around her, special advisors, who should have been like, Nicola, put on your mask. Otherwise, Don't this is, in the you're shop done. Yet. <laughs> you're, oh. you're not wearing your mask. Anyway, mask, mask uh, rules are now guidance. Yeah, the rules are guidance. So she can now walk into a shop if she wants. But she still should actually wear the mask. In my opinion, all of her political leaders should be wearing these masks in public until, like, until there is zero fear of this uh, virus anymore. But hey, we'll see what happens. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's stick with politics. Rishi Sunak. The Chancellor has referred himself to the ethics watchdog after Which days <laughs> days of questioning about his family's financial affairs. So uh, the Chancellor has asked Lord Geit, who is the Prime Minister's advisor on ministers' interests, mm-hmm. to check if he followed the rules. So this was after Mr. Sunak's oh, wife, Akshata Murthy, who last week announced that she would start paying UK tax on her overseas earnings after <gasps> much debate about that. What? And uh, as we've discussed last week, both the Chancellor and his wife had green cards to show that they were permanent members of the USA whilst <laughs> he was Chancellor. So there's a lot going on. He also has... Um, I believe some sort of investment in an offshore fund in the Cayman Islands. Oh, that was another one that uh, that emerged last week. Turns out he might not be so super after all. What do you think of this whole, you know, referring yourself to the watchdog? Well, I think for, it's just a means to try and control who investigates you. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. The last time I read this story, the watchdog that had been selected was the same one that did the investigation into. The, <laughs> the 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 wallpaper, <laughs> so maybe not the, the 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 watchdog that most people in the UK seem to trust, um, but you know, it's just a move. Like you know, things are going wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the teacher myself I messed up, uh, and then hope that you get off lighter by by doing so. It's just it's just a little politics move. Um, he's made enough mistakes that there surely is something that <laughs> is worth resigning over, but he hasn't. Uh, so, hey, I read that. We got Rishi still. Yeah, we, we also had last week a Tory MP convicted of sexually assaulting a, t- a teenage boy. True, true. Followed by another Tory MP saying that uh, a miscarriage of justice had taken place. And he was then swiftly reprimanded and said uh, the next day he deleted the, the post or the tweet and said he was very sorry. And actually... He supported he supported the rule of law. Oh yeah, and not just mm-hmm. looking out for his Tory pal. Sure, yeah. Now that he's been told off, he's uh, he's remembered to actually like say the public line, not the thing that they all say to each other behind the scenes. Um, Indeed. Yeah. No, the Tory party. I'm looking forward to the day where they stop doing this whole rule breaking, law breaking, corruption, 
um, f- deals with friends and family and all of that stuff that they just seem to do so well. If the day comes where the Tories can just have integrity and be the people who want to not overspend on things, that's fine. We always need people to argue with us so we refine our ideas. I look forward to them being that. I don't see it happening until I'm on my deathbed. Okay, let's move on. Penultimate story, Elon Musk, after lots of uh, chatter of uh, what he would do in regards of social media giant (laughs) Twitter. He joined the board. He then decided that he was going to buy Twitter. And in an update today, apparently has $46.5 billion committed by uh, lots of rich people and investment funds who are ready to back him to buy the website. Yep. So he's currently considering his options. The Twitter board um, took some sort of financial action last week to prevent that from being an easy task. Yeah. So it sounds like he's going to have to jump through several hurdles and hoops yep. and obstacles yep. in order to... I believe the phrase is complete a hostile takeover, uh, yeah, which is when you buy a company yeah. and the board didn't want you to buy it, but you buy it anyway. Exactly. So, yeah, he's wanting to. Yeah. Elon Musk has tweeted things about, you know, hashtag free speech and let's get Twitter back to a place <laughs> where you can say whatever you like, regardless of how anti Semitic or racist or homophobic or whatever. That's what he it wants. Is. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. James, what do you think about all this? Elon knows his current audience, and his current audience has transitioned from like, tech bro to uh people who are easy to to swindle <laughs> which is tech bro but but a broader category and the people who are easiest to swindle are people who are very very much a self-victimizing type so he's he's realized that the right-wing grifters have the easiest time finding people who are self-victimizing and they're gonna he's he's gonna look at them and try and keep his name in the news for them but this is a big investment i'm i'm thinking all of the money is probably not really his i don't know how much of that money is actually his it'll be a so some of it looks like it's come from morgan stanley yeah yeah so he he, like i'm sure he's putting some of his fortune towards it because he's got more money than anyone should have because he's an unethical person um and he's just organizing this to keep his name relevant and that's the entirety of it. He just wants the headlines. And this is the big move that's doing it. Twitter is a place where he struggles to be popular on. So he's going to buy it. And then he'll be more popular that way. Um, he'll be in more headlines because the whole takeover is just a bunch of headlines. And then he'll get to keep being in the headlines because he'll get to keep saying whatever he wants on Twitter. Uh, a, a platform he seems to primarily use to manipulate the stock market yep. and or prove that he doesn't understand things. Um, <laughs> and and uh, the buyout could work. They could do this and Twitter will maybe change. But we've seen free speech platforms everywhere. Yep. The, the very worst of them from early internet days to nowadays well, where like people aligned with Trump are setting them up or people aligned with certain yeah, well, parties are setting them up. Have you heard about Trump's uh, new site, Truth Social? Truth Social? I haven't, but I can already foresee how it's going to go. Well, well it, it launched about 10 days ago and the site, people are unable to join it. The waiting list is like, <laughs> hey, hello, you're 1.7 millionth in the queue to create an account. So yeah. it's clearly going uh Is there pieces. money involved? Do you need to pay to make an account? That wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Couldn't tell you, but basically, Mr. Trump is not very happy with uh, yeah. the fact that nobody is on it. Well, it's a shame for him that, that it turns out it's hard to make these platforms. Um, but anywhere where there are no rules of what you can post, 
just illegal things happens right away. And then it turns out that the person hosting the stuff is a little bit responsible for that. So they get into legal trouble for letting people post all the illegal stuff. And then they start censoring stuff. So even if Elon takes over Twitter and tries to like loosen up the rules and let people say what they want, it will be it will turn around in like three months after they figure out that it's not profitable. It doesn't work. It gets them in a lot of legal trouble. Um, because none of these platforms are just trying to silence right-wing voices right. or anything like that. All of those conspiracy theories, they are just trying to dodge the government. They're just trying to not get in trouble because illegal things happen when you have no rules. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, I saw a post from, I can't remember who it was, some right-wing grifter this week on Twitter who was accusing uh, professors in American universities of all being uh, left-wing liberals. Oh, yeah, 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 they all And are, his yeah. reasoning for this was that uh, conservative slash right-wing students were all getting worse marks than everybody else. <laughs> no, the self the self burns are hilarious. People are like, college graduates uh, are mostly uh, left-wing. Like, why are all the people that are graduating college mostly left wing? Isn't that weird? Isn't it strange that <laughs> the smarter you are, the more likely you are to have the d- beliefs that's different from mine? Yep. Here we are. <laughs> uh, anyway. And like, it's just truth. And it, like, I'm not saying, hey, if you're smart, you're left wing. I'm saying uh, if you're if you're not informed and you're not intelligent, you're more likely to, to get taken advantage of. And you're probably going to be more likely to be voting for a party that's all about the individual rather than society. And it's why, for example, the majority of Rangers fans are conservative and uh, union supporting. <laughs> no, it's not because they've been, you know, informed or they've had a, a thorough discussion or a really interesting, uh, well-researched debate about this and come to their own conclusions. It's just no, they've, yeah, what been, they do. They've been, they've been misused, and it's a shame. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to try and mock the, the the individuals. I want to mock the leaders. No, no, no. The the big right wing social media names who say all of these things. They don't understand, uh, and like that's embarrassing. But for the individual people who have just been misled and are more easy to take advantage of, or they just know a bit less. Also, it's just it's just sad. And on the back of uh, catching up last week, and we, we were laughing at a Russell Brand video where he uh, had some people from West uh, Westboro Baptist oh, yeah. Church on oh, a yeah. show, yeah. which was very entertaining. I looked him up, and now he's like a right wing grifter as well. Yeah, yeah, that's I told you. I told you he was getting grifty. He's like giving out Russia propaganda lines almost with how grifty he's getting. Looking at his videos here, and they're called. I tried to warn you, and then the great reset, it begins. Yeah, but uh, it's just... Wait, did they just admit that? Yeah. And all this, and here's, like, they know it's over. It all makes sense now. They did this on purpose, and it's just, ah, uh, just, it boils my like, blood. He's, like, he's relatively smart. He's pretty, he's pretty good at talking. Yep. Uh, but it, it's just the pipeline. It is the algorithm pipeline, and I'm trying to be nice about it all. The easiest oh, way. Oh, sorry, to- sorry. At the start of every video, he talks about the f- first sentence is, "Hey, if you want to buy tickets to my comedy tour, <laughs> yeah. here it is." But that's it. The <laughs> algorithm on YouTube, the algorithm on basically every platform, favors anger and hatred over good things, and it's a problem that all those companies are trying to fix. You're right. And the most profitable angry people are uh, are conservative leaning. Uh, self-victimizing types. So therefore, anyone who wants to make money will will, will target yeah. them a bit more. And over time, they'll just lean a bit further that way because there's a feedback loop, loop of like, I made this video, it was more popular, I'll try and make a similar video. Um, 
And like, yeah, there are very angry, self-victimizing people on the left as well. There's some very left-wing people who hate everyone, including themselves and each other. Yep. Uh, but there's less of a collective on that side. It's a lot, but it's more infighty than there is of just mass collective. Everyone is against the conservative voice on the right, which doesn't make sense because they've got the backing of all the algorithms. Uh, most of the media is centrist at best. But it's just this this constant cycle of people complaining that they're not being heard to the most people that can possibly hear them. Okay, right, let's uh, move on. Time is running out. James, we must make Uranus a priority. Are we going to probe it? That's the suggestion. We should go and find out what's actually in it and what it's like. And can we can we land on it? <laughs> land on it okay okay i see how, we, how we're going what's the kind of budget would you, for this, would you be though? interested in probing uranus we've already discussed what nine percent of me is worth <laughs> uh i need to know the budget um i mean it's nasa who are paying for it so i imagine the budget we uh oh it's, oh oh you mean okay i i was completely misunderstanding no uh, what did you think i was talking about okay we're really good actors. NASA wants to send a probe to, to Uranus. That's really cool. Yeah, so this is the news that, uh, according to an influential panel of scientists, the next mission, or rather, the next yeah. the mission they should prioritize for the space agency NASA should yeah. be to uh, Uranus, or Uranus, as you're saying. Uranus, the ice yeah. giant is the seventh planet in the system, uh, solar system, yeah. orbits the sun 19 times further out than the Earth. It's only ever been visited mm-hmm. once before in a flyby in 1986. It would be so really researchers cool. researchers say that an in-depth study of the planet yeah. will help them understand uh, the many similarly sized objects now being discovered around other stars. So this is on the back of uh, it will. It will. further or previous recommendations like, hey, you should go to Mars. And they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hey, you should go to Jupiter and it's Moon Europa, which is currently happening in 18 months time. Yeah, we're doing that. So yeah. this is interesting. That's an inter- it is an interesting one. Um, it's a, it's a very interesting planet because it does a whole bunch of things that the other planets do not, like spinning the wrong way and stuff. Hi, Zelda. Um, I know, right? But I, I, yeah, I get it. We're gonna if we go to a planet that we've not learned a lot about, of course, we're gonna learn a lot of things about it and similar planets. And because we're finding yeah. so many similar bodies around other stars, it's worth doing. Um, a lot of people see the things that go to space as a big waste of money, but we're not sending the money to space. <laughs> the money is just going into the world. And it's an investment yeah. in economies and stuff. And when you get to do a whole bunch of science on the side, it's a great idea. I, I, I want more planets to be just visited more regularly in general because I'd like to learn about them now rather than, you know, we send the probe when I'm two years away from death and the probe's going to go on a four-year journey, that uh, kind of thing. Yeah, and then by the time they, they get the findings and it comes back to Earth and they investigate and they extrapolate and they do this and that the next thing... Well, you'll be in my 50s by the time this happens. But yes, no, I agree. It is a good idea. Yeah, do the science now, please. Like, I'm very influential. Uh, I'm worth a lot of money. I'm just... NASA, do more, please. (laughs) You're probably... You're going to edit all of those down to, like, one minute. (laughs) We'll make it work. Okay, James... Final section for the show. Let's talk about what we've been watching. How about that? All right. Finishing, finishing the show with this. We also have a couple of trailers and some chat about Netflix. James, I have watched a movie on Netflix this week. Okay. What have you watched? I watched a TV show and three movies. Oh, three? Okay. Yeah, three whole films. 
Right. Well, let's start with the three and let's condense it. I will try. I will try my best. I watched Unbreakable, Glass, and Split. Not in that order. I watched. <laughs> I watched Split in the middle. Um, right. So okay. So just give us the background because these three movies are connected. That was going to be the background. If if you haven't seen the films, get out of here because it turns out they're sneakily a trilogy. Um, it, Unbreakable when it came out was just this somewhat somewhat a clever and a little bit on the nose but really well done superhero film okay. a superhero origins film a very human one with really good character like, moments 90s uh, by M. Night Shyamalan and yeah like I think it was the 90s Bruce Willis playing the lead uh, things happen he meets people he meets other people who know things and do things turns out one of them maybe is a bad guy nice um, um, uh, and it's just a story of someone uncovering that secretly they've had superpowers their whole life and they didn't really know about it um, and how that would impact them and what they would do with that. And it's such a good film. It really is very good. The uh, the acting is fine Okay. Uh, for the most part. There's a kid actor in it who does a great job for a kid actor. Um, but there are some scenes that just stuck. They've really worked. It's a very impressive film. Uh, well composed, well put together, well edited. Uh, there's some things that were a little bit on the nose and a bit obvious or a little bit cliche, um, right. but that's fine. It's it's M Night Shyamalan, like okay. But it's it, it is it is one of his really good ones. He's, Interesting. He's, he's underrated because we only ever think about the bad films he does. Now I saw Split a few years ago, and that's got James McAvoy, James McAvoy in the cast, uh, and he plays just a character who has lots of different personalities. Yeah, he's, I thought he was. I thought he was very good, and I thought Anya Taylor Joy, who's the main lead. This girl, is one of her early roles, yeah. Who plays off James McAvoy, yeah, and this was when she was just getting started. I thought they were both very good, and I enjoyed the film a lot. What did you think? Split was also very good. Now, I sadly yeah. knew that it was uh, softly attached to Unbreakable, a uh, soft sequel, Okay. before I saw it, which I think it, it would have been so cool to experience not knowing that and watching the film and getting to the part where that is revealed. To the end. And putting it together, because that, that was a really well done um, moment where they use the score from yeah. Unbreakable and you're like I remember this track I'm glad they're using it again oh wait um, <laughs> but yeah acting great McAvoy Im- Im- very impressively switching between the several characters he's playing convincing you that each one of them is a um, is a, its own personality that was like oh for sure really well really well done overall the story is about the same quality it's like it does what it needed to do Um the, the, there wasn't anything huge about it. There wasn't anything extravagant about it. It was low budget, very well executed, very well composed and very well done again. And that's the impressive thing is it turns out that the trick to getting a good film out of, uh, out of Shyamalan is just give him less money and he'll, he'll make something really good. Um, okay. And there was a couple of... Like the story mostly went the way you expect it to, but there was a couple of little differences in there and a couple of like... Uh, philosophical questions being asked that left that left an impression and it left me thinking about the film. Well done. However, the trilogy closes. We got glass. Right. Um, Shyamalan wanted this to be a trilogy all along. He secretly made the second one, but when glass was being announced, we all knew it was the third one of the of the trilogy, uh, focusing on the third character who's been there from the start. Glass, who appears in Unbreakable as. Uh, and a mentor role, advisor role, but turns out to be a bad guy all along. 
incredible Shyamalan twist. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the third film was was trying to be a twist in itself. It was trying to... Uh, it was trying too much? I'm not going to say too much. It was just... It was a very interesting concept where instead of being a superhero film, it was a film about trying to suppress humans. Okay. Uh, the reason why and this like secret society of superhero killers was a bit strange. Um, the characters, uh, all the things that happened to them, I'm all right with it. There was a wee bit contrived at times where people are showing up in ways that I don't think made much sense. It was really cool to, that they used the same actor for who from the kid who was the kid actor in, in Unbreakable. He's the same guy to provide the role. So there was a lot of cool things, but it was a little bit simpler in the terms of like when they were trying to set something up, people were just there conveniently. And it was a lot more on the nose of the comic book stuff. Um, I can see what they were trying to do. Um, and they did subvert a lot of expectations and in a way that I'm all right with. It was a well-executed subversion of expectations. It wasn't just the Game of Thrones okay. style. We're just changing the entire reason of the story for for funsies. Um, the heroes all go out in an, in a sad way. Oh. <laughs> None of them have a good ending. They all just have a sad ending. The film doesn't end with like an incredible climax of joy and, and victory. It's just kind of okay. like sad. And then you find out that the... The, the trilogy was an origin story for an entirely different set of characters than you thought. And that was a twist. Right. It was a... It, it, <laughs> but no, it were, worth watching the trilogy. Definitely the first two, much better than the third one. The third one, though, Interesting. still beautiful at times, still really well done at times, but it's just a little bit more contrived. Okay, before we get to ML's review, I'm going to tell you about Boiling Point, And this is the one-take movie... On Netflix. And this is an authentic one-take movie. It is done in a one continuous long take rather than if you... Has this been proven? Yes. If you cast your mind back to to Birdman in 2015, uh, that was done, you know, when they went every time they went into like a dark tunnel. And the same with... Yeah, yeah. Hidden Cuts. 1918, that war movie, which was similarly meant to be like one take. It wasn't. Again, every time somebody walked past the camera or they went somewhere dark, it was a fresh cut. This is... Or even like the the one take hallway fights in Daredevil, which aren't a whole film. They had had hidden cuts. Like there's hidden cuts in every one take thing. I'm surprised that this film was actually made. Yeah, it's authentic. It's a a genuine one take. It's basically a (laughs) stage show. And what it is, is Stephen Graham, who is an excellent actor, you recognize him, he's been in everything, who is playing the stressed out chef, Andy Jones. He's running a restaurant and he's got a whole cast of characters to deal with, a a deeply unhappy maitre d' slash uh, front of house, staff who are new, some who are dealing with very personal issues, um, two head chefs who are at each other's throats, and a lot going on because a star critic, a food critic, shows up uh, at this restaurant. But they are dealing with all sorts of other issues, and it turns out that Andy Jones, the lead character, is also an alcoholic, a drug addict, and is dealing with a divorce. So all these things just get ratcheted further and further up in this one-take movie, which is only like an hour 20 long, and it's excellent, really enjoyable. All right. And at times you forget you're watching a one-take film because it's done so nicely. And every character, even the minor ones, get 
a chance to shine. Cool. So, for example, you get uh, a couple of minutes with the pastry chefs, Man. the el- you know, the older women and the young apprentice, and suddenly there's a, a moment of, of you know a deep personal f- uh, situation. It happens, right? And they have a little moment, right? And then the camera moves on to 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 a different part of the restaurant, okay. And then someone else has another moment. You see them going out the back for a smoke, but actually they're doing something else. <gasps> and you and you see different parts of their relationship, all right. And what di- different parts of their character? It is fascinating to see. And I, this was done, or rather, it was set up in uh, just before lockdown, right? And they had planned for to do ten. Takes right, so ten runways uh, th- runs through. Yeah, they only got to do four, Ooh. and then lockdown happened. Ooh. And this is one of the best four. Okay, but it's it's phenomenal. It was rewarded, I believe, at the Baftas. I think Stephen Graham won lead actor, and then it was also rewarded for best cast or best casting. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if you watch the film, you'll see from from start to finish. Everybody is excellent, and you forget you're watching. And organization a movie. required. That's melting my brain. That's oh, impressive. it's incredible. So, if you do have, and this, you know, genuinely, if you're looking for something different, it's a little bit sweary, and there's some drugs in it. Yeah. But if you want something that's kind of bright and breezy in terms of uh, a fast-paced hour twenty, hour twenty-five, okay, perfect. Boiling points for you. Check it out. Okay, okay, James, before we get to your TV show, let's hear from Amel. Uh, dear listener, if you would like to get in touch with something that you've watched, you can do. Send it to us, ceaseoperate at gmail.com, or send it to us in audio form, as Amel has done. Okay. Here she is. Bonjour, ceaseoperate. It's Amel back to do another oh. review, this time for The Last Kingdom, Excellent. which is a, a BBC series just concluded season five. And it's based on The Saxon Stories, which was a novel by Bernard Cornwall. I think that's the most British sounding name you've ever heard. Um, So based on these books, and it's all around the sort of medieval Britain, the Danes and the Saxons fighting it out over who can be in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And at the centre of the story is Uhtred. Um, Uhtred, who was... Born Saxon, but raised by Danes, by Vikings. So he is this kind of complex character because he um, he's trying to ca- recapture his ancestral lands, which are um, English, yeah. but he's been raised by Danes. So he sees himself as a Dane and it's all yeah. about how he sort of manages that path between the two. Yes. It features a mix of historical and fictional characters. And from that perspective, I find it quite interesting just to understand more about that period of history, mm-hmm. which I knew very little about. Um, the cinemata- the cinematography, yes. let's try that again, um, is beautiful. The action sequences yes, are very good. Yeah, I mean, they're quite gory. I actually don't know why I'm saying that they're very good because I watched a lot of it with my hand in front of my face. (laughs) So they might have been terrible, but I gather from the bits that I saw that they are very good. good Some people I think have said or compared it to Game of Thrones or Vikings. And I actually have watched neither of those things, so I couldn't really comment. But I do feel like um, from what I know of those shows, Last Kingdom does seem to have very much its own personality, Mm -hmm. its own characters, its Mm -hmm. own uh, world and storyline, and very much stands on its own two feet. I think what the show does require is a good amount of suspension of disbelief. (laughs) The Vikings um, seem very emotionally literate. They all have very good teeth. Um, And Uhtred himself has quite a confusing accent. It starts off in season one as just sort of Danish, lilting Danish. But by the time you get to season five, it's kind of like he's in a Swedish pantomime or something. (laughs) And bizarrely, none of the other actors have that accent. Um, So that's a bit odd. There's also a lot of confusing names, and I appreciate they're trying to make... 
yeah. it's sort of authentic, but you've got like Ethelfled, Ethelhelm, Ethelwolf, Ethelfled, Elfwyn, Alfred, yeah. all these names that make it quite confusing then when there's a big cliffhanger <laughs> and they're like, oh no, it's Elfwyn, she's missing. And I'm not very sure who Elfwyn is and I've watched, you know, four series of this thing. Um, so yeah, it can be a little confusing. But what I would say, yeah, overall, um, charismatic acting. I mean, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Uhtred himself, but yeah, he is very charismatic. I mean, he's very handsome. That obviously helps True, also. Yeah. Um, but generally, I think the, the, the acting is excellent. The characters are really well thought out. Their motivations and identities, um, you know, complex characters. The score is very good also. Mm-hmm. And the storylines generally very gripping. And exploring interesting themes, you know, about women in power, about the problems of imposing religion. Um, so, yeah, generally quite interesting stuff. Unfortunately, I would say at season five, as with many shows, things did become a bit weaker. The storyline mm-hmm. got kind of confusing. There was lots of arguing all the time. And they, I felt they went from sort of these out you know, daring plans where they outwitted their enemies to just like an okay plan that kind of went a bit wrong. And (laughs) so, yeah, I felt like the finale itself was a bit underwhelming. Um, But overall, fantastic show. It has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you don't believe me, believe the tomatoes and give it a wee watch. Okay, cool. Bye. An okay plan that sometimes went a bit wrong. Yeah, that's life. <laughs> that's a great description. And believe the tomatoes, absolutely. No, it's... Uh, so thank you, ML, for that review. And uh, uh, James, it sounded from the noises I was hearing that you have also watched the show. I've seen, I have seen the first four seasons. I think I've seen four. It might just be three. Um, and, like, okay. it isn't at the same quality, like, story-wise as the good Game of Thrones is, but it's definitely better than the bad Game of Thrones right. is. It's definitely, you can tell, it's got a little bit of a lower budget. It did transition from okay. being a BBC show to something else. Maybe it didn't. Maybe I'm lying. I'm sure it was, and, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, it, and, like, it, the acting is, like, good enough to carry it, but not the best. The, the, the plot is good enough to carry, but not the best. But for some reason, I always enjoy the show. It is a very enjoyable show to watch if you can embrace it all. Right. The biggest suspension of disbelief is that this character, Uhtred, just does not age. <laughs> the, this show, I don't... I thought, like, every season that passes covers, like, 20 years of life for, for other characters, but he's just, like, oh. same old guy. Uh, Evergreen. Exactly. It really is. And, like, so, so there's this weird, like, I'm not quite sure who's supposed to be how old kind of dynamic with the show, but it's all of those little things that if you just buy into them and you're like, all right, then there is other ways that the show has got some depth that okay. you didn't expect, as was being said. Um, I think I've reviewed it before, and overall, like, it's just brain off enjoy show right okay very briefly James because time is going you've also seen a a finish the TV show let's hear it yeah speaking of brain off enjoy show (laughs) I watched The Witcher season 2 and basically everything that I just said (laughs) about about, uh, Last Kingdom it's copy paste Uh, the acting's a bit better when it comes to Henry Henry Cavill Cavill, who is just made for the role and And some of the like some of the other main characters are also just made for the people they're playing so overall the acting is is very good Um, but the show is nothing to really uh, rave about it just ticks the right boxes in most of the ways. There was a few elements of it that I didn't like. We meet more witchers than before. Okay. And most of them were kind of just like annoying. And I didn't like that. I kind of wish that there was cooler ones, like at least one or two that I liked. 
rather than all just being aggravating. Um, uh, the, the story is very ambitious. They're telling a very big story and it's not really clear what the end goal of the story is, which I like because it just feels like it can keep getting bigger and bigger until it has its uh, culmination. It, it, so it, it, it was very obvious that they weren't just like, hey, I guess we'll have a season three and they just added a little plot line on the end. This season two was driving towards building a plot big enough for another season. Right. Um, but at the, some of the same problems of there's just like some things that happen and I'm like, oh, it's a little bit easy. Got away with that one, right? Okay. I'm not sure why you're getting away with it, but you, they did. I think the show was pretty poorly received by people who've played the games or read the books, but I haven't, so I enjoyed it. Fair enough. Okay, James, we've got two trailers to talk about. The first one I'm not going to play a clip of because it was only 80 seconds long. Thor 4, Love and Thunder. Yeah. Now, dear listener, if you yeah. um, if you want to go and have a look at it, then I'd recommend you do. It is very short. Yep. James, I have thoughts about this. What did you think? I thought it looked like a Thor film. <laughs> yep. It's probably going to be pretty good. Yep, very evident that they're sticking with the, like banter and the comedy yes. a wee bit there's they've dumbed down the character even more than before i think yep um which I, i'm not a fan on them dumbing down their characters as the films progress but hey it sells i guess um but no it looks like it's going to be an entertaining film it looks like they have uh, chosen a direction to go for the character in, in not sticking around with the guardians of the galaxy for too long for example uh-huh. and doing his own thing um i don't quite buy the, this idea that he's moved on from being a superhero, I'm sure that that's just going to be resolved very, very sure. awkwardly uh, in a very obvious way. Um, but hey, Natalie Portman, she looked real cool. Okay, so I've got two <laughs> points. One of them is about Miss Portman. The first point I have is, as you've explained there, Thor, who in after oh, from Thor 3 onwards, but also in, his, in the Avengers movies, was... Still an intelligent person, but was funny. Sometimes he was dumb. In, in Thor 2, right. there was the most. And then Thor 3 kind of made him like a little bit more just, I'm smart enough to get by. I'm pretty intelligent. I'm, I've got emotions and I'm capable, but he sure. wasn't like an airhead. And that being said, you know, Thor 3 was is one of my favorite Marvel movies because it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. However, as we've seen at the, the tail end of the Avengers uh, Infinity War and Endgame, he, he just has become something of a, a comedy character. Yeah, I'm, so yeah, I'm not kidding. I'm unsure, and I know that this, this worked for Thor 3, but I'm unsure how, if they've pushed it too far. Similar with the character of uh, Drax, as we've talked about before. Oh, In the first Guardians movie, he is excellent because, you know, it's just simply a case of not understanding yeah. uh, metaphors. Yeah, that's cool. And that's funny. figures of speech. Whereas after that, he just becomes an idiot. Yeah, and that's where it's stupid, stepped too yeah. far. So that's my first point. My second point, Miss Portman, why are you showing us the, like the shot? Yeah, of that her was a shame. Holding Thor's hammer in the, in the teaser trailer. Yeah. Like that's the, the thing you say for the movie. Yeah, we, we oh. all knew that she was playing this role in this character. So it's not necessarily a yep. spoiler, but I still would have liked to have the reveal. How they reveal it be not a spoil, not spoiled. I would have liked that to have a fresh feeling, um, but overall, it does look like they're sticking to the established storyline. They've even pulled a few uh, frames and just copy pasted them into the into the actual <laughs> film. Um, okay. So, like, I think it's going to be a good film. It's going to be one of the not bad Marvels, which means it's probably like a seven. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on. James, penultimately, Stranger Things season four has a trailer. Uh, again, go and watch it because it's a long yeah, one okay. in it's, contrast to Thor. Twelfth trailer, James. What do you think of this? Because yeah, Whoa, thoughts. Uh, they they just keep biting off more things when I wish they stuck with small stories. 
Season one was a small character-driven story. I enjoyed it. Season two still had some character, bit of a bigger story, bit less good. Season three, a little, a little less character. Occasionally, some very good character moments still, but overall, a bit less good. Yeah. And they just keep expanding the size of the story, and it kind of has to. By doing so, you're sacrificing your characters. You're sacrificing their moments, and I feel like I know exactly how the series is, how the season is gonna go. I think the trailer kind of showed a lot of things, and even some of the stuff they're trying to keep secret. Yep. they hinted at it a little too strongly. Um, I the, the, they've revealed their their villain, and the villain just looks really stupid. Uh, <laughs> um, and the new characters, they seem to be the cliche. So it's a shame. I think. I think it's going to be a popular season. I think I'm going to enjoy it, but I think it's going to be another one where it's just like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm going to be thinking of what this could have been. And then when they have those like right. five minute scenes where there is the really good stuff that they still do, right? I'm going to be like, why couldn't the whole show be this? My thoughts very uh, very briefly are that the show was always at its best where the stories were character driven and we got to spend time with them. Yeah. Because in the season one and two, I would struggle to tell you what the villain looked like, let alone what they were called, because <laughs> yeah. you were cared about the characters. You know, I knew they were like yeah. from from the upside down or something, but that's about it. Whereas this time, you've got like a oh, here's a rookie spooky villain, and I've got a silly name and a silly voice, and he looks, as you say, he looks silly as well. He's called Vecna. He is, uh, he is a name they've pulled from Dungeons and Dragons again. Right, but again, it, it, it's taking away from what was a nice self-contained little horror story in a tiny little town and now it's what crossing dimensions and time and space and i'm just thinking oh look i know there is this you know law of diminishing returns but if you make a show bigger and bigger and bigger suddenly it's like the fast and furious franchise you are now literally in space you started selling stealing dvd players and having drag races on a on a quarter mile street and now you're in space at which point yeah you fully on you fully jumped the shark and the show is in my book watching the trailer i will watch the show but i think it's lost its heart season one was smart because they hinted at a lot of 80s cliches and 80s character right uh and and what society was like in the 80s but they showed us like a slightly different version of it the 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 bully became the hero the policeman uh, actually cared oh, sorry the policeman actually cared about the mystery instead of just being the like typical 80s film policeman just doesn't care and then gets killed so they 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 did all of those things and they flipped it a wee bit and then ever since then they've kind of stopped having anything interesting to do and they've just made those characters the cliches instead so it's like the 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 man and the woman argue all the time ha 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 uh the kids all have fallouts in relationship drama ha 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 and like while it's all real and valid they're not doing anything interesting with it anymore and the the one big interesting thing I remember from season three was like the 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 scene where Steve and uh, the character whose name I've forgotten were in the bathroom talking about school days and confessing love and then confessing uh, sexuality and stuff like that and that was great right but it was in this moment where they're infiltrating a secret Russian base and it felt really stupid and a bunch of children are smarter than a whole army of Russians somehow and it's just like I can't buy the good scenes when they're interspaced okay. with all of this trash. 
Final story for this episode, which uh, has been a bumper one, let's talk about Netflix. This is the news that shares in the company have slumped by over a third after it revealed a sharp drop in subscribers and warned that millions more are going to quit. So this is uh, $50 billion, which has been knocked off the firm's uh, market value uh, after it announced that uh, hundreds of of thousands, I believe it was almost 200,000, sorry, yes, 200,000 subscribers has ended their subscriptions (laughs) in the first three months of the year. Well, yeah. And that came from people you know, balancing their budgets. But also, there's so many streaming services now, there's a lot of competition. Yeah. And Netflix has said they're going to now crack down on password sharing yeah. and to consider lower pricing in return for showing ads. So, James... Oh, all right, okay. I thought they were just going to say lower pricing because it would be smart. <laughs> yeah. This, to me, though, was inevitable because there are only so many people in certain countries, Western countries mainly, where Netflix is its well, uh, yeah. currently largest market, who are going to pay for streaming services, and they've now reached that limit. Well, and the limit was lower than they initially hoped because yeah. everyone else opened up their streaming services. Netflix had a pretty uncapped market originally because they were the streaming for service. Years. They were buying everyone's stuff and streaming it, which was a good business model until all the companies they were buying the things from made their own services, and therefore Netflix had to start trying to make its own shows. Um but they've not been a failed business yet. Like, yeah, they're, 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 they've lost a lot of potential and therefore their shares have gone down because they have lost a lot of the potential. But so have all the other streaming platforms because they're all competing. Netflix still isn't failing. What is going to change things for me is if they keep doing this thing where they keep increasing the price of a subscription, which is already too high, while having less quality of production and fewer good shows... And if especially they crack down on password sharing, because the only thing that makes a Netflix account feel worth it right now is if it's a sh- if it's shared between like four or five people. Um, Zelda agrees. And if they stop canceling all their all their good shows, because Netflix are doing this thing where they have like a good show and they cancel it after one or two seasons. They just keep doing this, um, so they might still fail. But I don't think it's going to be because of this like share decrease because there's less of a market because they've got less of a. A monopoly anymore. I love the fact that they don't have a monopoly anymore. Um, but when there's no monopoly, all the companies need to like lower their prices and be competitive, not all try and uh, scam us all out of an out of even more money per month. Okay, James, we'll have to leave it there because time is well and truly gone, but it has been a, a rammed episode. Uh, free of ads as well. Yeah. And perhaps we've lost subscribers along the way. But uh, James, if you would like to get in touch with the show. Don't know why I addressed that to you. Dear listener, if you would like to get in touch with the show, cseoperate at gmail.com. And actually, James, if you want to correspond about the show, then that's how you do it too. I've been banned from Colin's DMs. Or cseoperate on Twitter. Thank you very, very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. And James, thank you for your time. And we'll chat next week with about all the new stuff that's happened in the world. No, thank you. Ah. Oh. We'll see you then. There's going to be so many things. Bye, Rushy. Bye, bye, bye. Hey, come on, Zelda. <laughs>